What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Matt West. Now, welcome. Wait a minute. Welcome. Actually, welcome to another year. Welcome to a brand new year, 2019. Happy New Year. Hopefully, everybody had a happy, wonderful, fun, exciting, safe uh, end of 2018. It is hard to believe that 2018 is already finished, but Gives us a lot to look forward to here for the next 365 days. I know I'm excited about uh, 2019 and all the opportunities it could be bringing to a lot of us. You know, uh, a new year brings so much, and it brings, for me, it's going to be about four months of me trying to remember how to write the date, if it's writing a check, if anybody does that anymore, you're signing in somewhere, those last two numbers for about the next uh, 90 to 120 days are going to be so hard for me to get correct. So I'm going to fight through that. It's just a, a little real life problem that we're going to endure. And by the uh, midsummer, by July, we're all going to be right in the right date. I know that that to be true. Uh, another thing that I know is going to happen here, uh, we're going to get swarmed with stupid memes on social media, the whole uh, new year, new me. Well, no, I hate to tell you, but you're the same guy or gal you were last Tuesday. But that being said, some of those ridiculous memes can inspire or motivate somebody, and I am all in favor of anything that'll motivate somebody. So if it's one of those little memes on Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is, or if it's the a, a new calendar setting on your desk or on your wall at work, whatever it takes for you to get motivated to do something to better yourself every single day, go for it. Um a lot of people make New Year's resolutions. Hey, roommate Dave, do you have any new uh, New Year's resolutions that you're uh no? No? I, okay, same New Year, same same roommate Dave. That's what I figured. I didn't figure you were putting down a whole bunch of new things to change just because it's it's a new calendar. I, You know, I kind of touched on it a little bit. I, I do very much think that goals are important. I think that goals for, you know, extended period of times, but, but for me, I, I have daily goals, I, and I wake up every single day with – with a goal in mind, whether it's even if it's just say hi and smile to a complete stranger, anything that I think is going to make my day better for me. You know what? Because so, sometimes I'm selfish. Sometimes I think it's okay to be selfish. Whatever you need to do to make your day better. And a lot of times for me, that's making somebody else's you know day just a little bit better so i encourage you guys to do that just and, and again i'm not here to uh, to preach or not a motivational speaker by any stretch of the imaginations i just am going to tell you things that i enjoy and things that help me get through the days you know uh there's so many things that are going to inspire you and motivate you with a, a new calendar year and i hope that this episode of the podcast will do that as well because if you can't get some motivation and some inspiration after listening to the story of my guest here this week, then, uh, man, there, there, there's a lot of things that you're missing because we get bogged down so many times with life and, and our little bitty troubles um, that are so, so trivial. And sometimes we need to put it all into perspective. My guest this week is Big Vinny. I knew Big Vinny uh, from afar uh, as an entertainer, as a musician, as a guy that I heard on the radio as a part of Trailer Choir. They had a big hit called Rock in the Beer Gut that was so catchy. And then when I saw the video on CMT, I, I just, I was, I hate to use the word mesmerized because it sounds so cheesy, but I, I was, I was just so intrigued by this great big 
specimen of a human being in overalls that was doing the worm and jumping around and had this just incredible charisma and, and this energy that was just seemed endless. And uh, obviously the talent to be on tour with Toby Keith and to be on my radio and to be on CMT. And so I, I was just kind of intrigued by Trailer Choir and, and you know, more specifically intrigued by Big Vinny. But then again, watching from afar, just being a fan, I saw Big Vinny on The Biggest Loser and he took all of that insane talent and energy and entertainment that he, he used on stage. And then all of a sudden you saw this hardworking, passionate competitor on The Biggest Loser and a guy that took that experience and carried it over into his day-to-day -day life. And now he is using his experience, his knowledge, his uh, his passion to help other people. And that's something that, that I think is truly, truly incredible. Now, to kind of set the stage for you, uh, me, Big Vinny, our buddy Luke Rogers, we hit the gym one day in Nashville. It was kind of a rainy afternoon. And then Big Vinny, his wife Jenny, and uh, their little man Jagger, they kind of opened up their home for me to cruise over there and uh, sit down and, and shoot the breeze a little bit and, and uh, record an episode of, of this little podcast. So that's what you're going to hear. You're going to hear me and Big Vinny kind of trying to sneak around because Jagger was in the middle of a nap, and, and you know how important those can be if you're young or if you're old or if you're somewhere in between. Those naps get more and more important as time goes on. But we tried to keep it quiet. I think we did a pretty good job. Jagger might actually stumble onto the episode at some point uh, during our conversation. But I tell you what, uh, make sure you've got time to listen to this episode from start to finish because um, no matter what your preconceived notions are of a human being, I want you to know that the old saying of never judge a book by its cover is true. And you're going to see that because the energy that comes from Big Vinny, it is definitely just... Uh, a little tip of the iceberg that is one of the most inspirational humans I've ever come in contact with. And I absolutely love the fact that I had an opportunity to sit down and have this conversation. Hopefully you love it as well. So I know you didn't come here to just listen to me ramble on. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Big Vinny. We're rolling. Protein shakes. <laughs> Make sure you drink them in your BCAAs. Big Vinny Fitness. It's funny because we, I mean, you just took me through a workout. Like, Killed me in about what 20 30 minutes, yeah. We did about, yeah, 30 about 30 minutes. And now, like, you're a motivating dude, like, you're a motive, like, you're motivated yourself. I, you can tell just being around you, but like, you're a motivating brother, man. Because, like, I, I just caught myself, we're here at your place, and uh, I had to go get something out of the car. Like, I sprinted to the car, I haven't sprinted in like six, eight months, and, and I had to force myself to do it then. Like, I guess I'm here, we go, I'm gonna run out here and grab it. Well, yeah. and you know, he, he was going out to grab shirt, you were going out to grab shirts for my wife, and my wife is awesome, so yeah. yeah. And She's motivated, you know, and, she's, and I said, "Tell her like if we don't make her happy, we're all in yeah, trouble." Yeah, we gotta make her happy. You gotta keep her, keep her going. You know, she's going to get her hair done, so she'll be happy. She's gonna come back so happy. I, I got her nails done for her the other day. Now she's getting her hair done. Shoot, it's awesome, man. It, it's so I, funny. I got all these brownie points scoring up. You you're know? just stocking them up. Here's the good news, though. As soon as she gets mad, they all disappear. Like I don't, I don't know if you know that. You're, I know, ain't that crazy? <laughs> three, three, three. I should at least get to mess up three times for three access. You should. <laughs> you, they should be one to one. It's like yeah. one, one in, no, one out at a yeah, bar. It's but. like no, you didn't wash the dishes. Damn it, I forgot to wash those dishes. And it takes more to catch up yeah. than it does to lose. Luckily, luckily for me, I only mess up at least twice a day. So <laughs> it's it's like a diet, you know, you can you can be clean, clean, clean for six days a week. And then you have that one day. Yeah. yeah. Boom. Then all That's of a my, you know, screwed. if I'm gonna cheat, I do a cheat meal every now and then. I I, I like breakfast. I wanna do pancakes or biscuits or something like that. Like 
pizza I can do without, burgers I don't really care nothing about, you know, nothing like that, but I just love breakfast. I have a big old stack of pancakes, you know, yeah. some chocolate gravy and biscuits. You See, know. ice cream. I'm an ice cream guy. Oh, I love ice, ice cream and macaroni and but, cheese. You know, honestly, I live on it. I, when I love macaroni and cheese. <laughs> but I, honestly, for me, it's like, I, I get a, you know, the, I, if you ever eat the, uh, what's it called, Arctic Zero or the Halo oh, Top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. It gives me the feeling of ice cream, even though I know it's not near as good as ice cream. Until I eat like six or eight tubs of it at 11 o'clock at night. Well, yeah, you, get, you have to limit yourself to one tub. <laughs> it's, it's just not fair. Dude, you're like... You're, you know, a lot of people are going to know you from like the music and the trailer choir and everything, but you're a fitness freak, man. Like you're really, really knowledgeable and really smart. When did, you know, I was blessed, you know, I was almost 500 pounds. I was, I was in the hospital. I was about to lose my leg to diabetes. And you know, the crazy thing that made me want to change my life was I was actually downtown Nashville and I was hanging out with all my buddies and we got back where we parked at. Well, we had parked on like the fourth story of this parking garage. Mm Mm-hmm. And we're getting ready to go up the elevator where the elevator was broke. So we had to walk up four flights of stairs. Now I'm almost 500 pounds. So stairs were like, you know, my enemy. Yeah. And so I look over it and I start, you know, I start getting mad. I'm like, hey, I can't believe they ain't got these, this elevator fixed, this crap, you know. And I was complaining. I was like, I can't believe we got to walk up these stairs. And so my buddy that was with me and he was hammered, <laughs> but he looks at me and he goes, you know, that's the thing about a guy with no legs. He'd give anything to walk up this set of stairs. That's right. And I, I just crumbled, man. And I was just like. I'm over here complaining. I got a set of working legs. God bless me with a healthy enough body to get around and move. And there's people that can't get out, can't get out of, out, out of a chair. And there's guys that go off to war and they come back and they, they, they don't even have legs anymore. And here I am complaining about walking up a set of stairs. And that's, that was like my aha moment. Like, dude, you got to do something different. And, um, my buddy didn't even remember saying it the next day. I was like, Oh, you said it. He goes, I said that. I said, yeah, you said that. He goes, man, I'm a philosopher when I'm drunk, <laughs> <laughs> but it's crazy because you're, you, I mean, you're a songwriter. Yeah. So like you'll take inspiration from everything. So I do. Little things that people I pull, say I like pull that. In, you know, any, I mean, if I hear something, I, I try to put it in a song, you know, and, and, but that's what inspired me to want to change. And then it took another buddy of mine who came to me one day, probably about a month later. Um, so it was all like happening. And I think that's God, you know, God's going to give you these signs and he's going to tell you hundred percent when you need it in your life, he's going to tell you hundred percent. And, um, so my buddy, one of my best friends come to me and he just said, look, man, he goes, I, I'm, I'm afraid you're going to die. You're extremely overweight. And, and I'm, he goes, I can't sugarcoat it any longer. You need, you need to do something about it. He goes, I'll train you every day. And this guy's six foot four. He's shredded. He does movies and commercials and he's in all the music videos you see, you know, I'm yeah. name off probably 20 videos he's been in. He's the video guy, you know? Um, and I got mad at him. You know, I got mad. I was like, dude, who are you to tell me what I need to do? You know, blah, 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 blah. I got this great career going. And, you know, and I kind of let my ego get in the way for a minute. And then it took me about an hour to calm down, you know, and he left. And I called him and I apologized. And that's when I really started my weight loss, you know, and that was in 2010, right right about the time that the flood happened. Oh, so, so like 2010, I mean, that's kind of right in the middle of, of the music deal, right too. Right the hype of us right being in, the- in our biggest, you know, Beer Gut had done huge and we were out touring full time and man, we were doing, you know, over a million dollars a year, you know, touring and just, just eating it up, man. And I was, I'd be gone for 30, 40 days at a time. So that, that, you know, as I first started my journey, like I would do good when I was home, but then when I'd leave, I'd still eat all the bus food and I'd party and do all the stuff at nighttime. And I never was a drinker. So my party was a big old thing of pizza while everybody else was sitting around drinking. But I, uh, I literally, um, when I came back, uh, in 2010, after our, our, you know, final end of the tour. Um, and we were on our own headlining tour in that year. Uh, I just knew, I was like, man, I got to do something different. You know, I was feeling bad. So I went out to LA in February, um, of 20, of 2011 it was the end of January, beginning of February. 
So I went out there because I was going to audition for the movie Dumb and Dumber 2. Really? The first time they were going to make it, before Jim Carrey backed out the first time. Right. And so I was going out there to audition for it, and a, a woman named Cindy Fairley, which is the Fairley brothers' sister, is my lawyer out there. So I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to show her, you know, she only knows me as this music guy, you know, right. and she yeah. dealt with my movie stuff with Toby and all that. So um, I went out there and I met with her and she's like, oh my gosh, your personality's great and you're so athletic to be such a big guy. And Time out. You know, I, I just want to go back and pick up that name that you I just, just dropped. I dropped you know, him. Just, just, you call him Toby. Most of us call him Toby Keith. Yeah. The Toby. So to kind of set the scene for anybody that may have started listening to this, we're we're in your living room in Jagger, who just turned eleven months. Yeah, right? eleven months old. He's over here crashed out. So he's so in, we he's sound in, like we're whispering. Yeah, we are. He's in a milk coma. Don't worry about him. He, he'll be fine. <laughs> he should be out for another hour. But if he wakes up, we'll have him in the interview. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Probably be the most intelligent <laughs> part of this. Thing. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> he he's pretty high IQ. He's already learned how to climb up on top of the couch and get the remotes and change the channels. And You're in trouble, stuff. man. Yeah. But um. So she gets to end up praising me and telling me how great I am. I'm like, great, I'm going to be in the movie. It's going to be awesome. And she goes, but. And I was like, what do you mean, but? She's like, well, she goes, you know, Vinny, when you're on camera, it, you know, you have to fit in, the, in a scene with somebody else. She's like, and you're going to dwarf and be so much bigger because, you know, being almost 500 pounds. I was like, well, you know, Chris Farley was a big guy and John Candy was big. Like, yeah, they were still 100 and something pounds lighter than you. Yeah. They were 300 pounds, not 500 yeah. pounds, you know, two, almost 200 pounds lighter than you. And I'm like... Yeah, but I mean, I'm I'm so athletic and I'm great and people love me. And Which she's is like, crazy because you all, I mean, you were. I was. I, I thought crazy. I was, I, and I thought, listen, I thought I was the hottest guy in the world. This is not a joke. You know, a lot of, a lot of bigger guys don't have any confidence and I, I did. I thought I was the, I thought I was the cock of the walk, buddy. See, I was the exact opposite. I weighed, I weighed 300 pounds yeah. and you couldn't get me in public. I was the most. Yeah. Uh, I weigh 300 pounds now. Yeah, but yeah, different, your waist different is, weight. Yeah. yeah. My waist is, I wear a size 34 pants, but. Right. It's crazy. Um, Anyways. But anyways, but yeah, so I was, I was literally just like, she's like, you need to go lose a couple hundred pounds. And I was like, well, that's impossible. I could never do that. And she's like, well, not with that attitude, you couldn't. <laughs> so I was like, okay. She's like, just go home, you know, start losing it. You know, we, we don't got to be in stuff overnight. You know, she's like, it's a process. You know, she goes, you're young. You, I was 27 years old. And so, you know, that God thing again, you know, God kept telling me to do something different. And here it was again, another person telling me I needed to lose weight. I need to do something different. Well, I was flying home on Super Bowl Sunday when the Packers were playing against the Steelers. Mm -hmm. And I had this big Super Bowl party planned at my house and all this other stuff. And the night before, I had this really big knot on my leg. And I kept thinking, maybe I have a hernia. So I looked up on WebMD and it's like, yeah, it could be a hernia. It could be this, it could be that. So I'm like, okay. I was like, well, I just got a hernia. I'll get it sewed up on Thursday because that's the only day that I had free. Well, I literally got off the plane and my girlfriend at the time, uh, who ended up becoming my first wife, <laughs> um, she made me go to the hospital and I got there and I had a, what was called cellulitis. And it's, um, basically a bacteria that lives on your body all the time, but it can't ever really grab hold. But my blood sugar was so high that it was able to feed at a rapid rate. And it was creating basically, um, eating my flesh. It was, it was tearing up the inside, from the, of my inside, from the inside. And so this knot was, was where they had kind of conjoined or whatever. And what was, you know, if I'd have waited two more days, they would have had to cut my entire leg off because it would have turned into gangrene and, and would have been really bad. And so luckily that woman, <laughs> women are really smarter than guys a lot of times, All and, times. Uh, but yeah, so she made me go to the hospital. They ended up, you know, had, they had to do surgery that day and they had to cut out the knot um, I was in the hospital for six days, and the, of course, the doctor told me that that's when I found out I was diabetic, that I had all these other problems going on, and that if I didn't change, she said, you won't make it to 30 if you don't change. 
and I was 27. So, you know, at that point, I know I have to change. So I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know what I'm going to do. But then all of a sudden, I get this phone call from my ex-girlfriend who was on the very first season of Biggest Loser. Now, just so we know, this girl, her name is uh, Dana DeSilvio. She only weighed 180 pounds when she went on the first ever season of Biggest Loser because they had a misconception of what was overweight right. and what yeah, wasn't. Yeah. Um, and she was a beautiful woman, and she's still a beautiful woman. But she called me. She said, Vinny, they're coming to audition people for Biggest Loser on, in February you know, February 26th. So this is like February 4th or something on Super Bowl Sunday. And, um, or that week of Super Bowl Sunday. It's like, they're going to come and audition people. I want you to go audition. I think you'd be great on the show and they'll love your personality and you'll be America's sweetheart and blah, 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 right. blah. And I'm like, I ain't going to, that's the stupidest thing. That show's terrible. You know, all they do is make fun of fat people. That's, that was what the, my, the way I conceived the show because I was this, you know, heavy person that watched her go through it and they just, you know, it would have changed so much. So anyway, so I, you know, sure enough, I hang up the phone. I look at my girlfriend at the time. And I'm like, can you believe she wants me to go audition for Biggest Loser? I mean, I'm sitting here trying to figure out how I'm going to lose this weight. And she's talking to me about some stupid reality show. And then I got the look, you know, like you idiot. You yeah. Know? Like here, here, here's God putting it right in front of you. Here's yeah. So it. she gets on the phone and she calls her back and says, yeah, Vinny's going to be there to audition on February 26th. Wait, so, so the current girlfriend called the ex -girlfriend. Called the ex-girlfriend, which never would have happened outside of that situation because right. they weren't necessarily friends then. Actually, they're friends now, I think. But anyway, so they, you know, whatever, they end up talking. Now I'm auditioning because two women have come together and made my decision for me, which seems to happen a lot in my life. I had a female doctor, too. It was funny when I came into the doctor to get my, to get checked on that on that first Super Bowl Sunday. It was a woman doctor. And she said, well, show me show me what's hurting. And, you know, it was literally like right beside my my junk. You right, know, right. And so I was looking at my girlfriend. I was like, I can't show it's a It's a girl doctor. And the girl doctor says, well, would you know a guy be down there looking at it? I'm like. Is this a trick question? <laughs> so I'm like, and my, so my girlfriend says, just take your pants off and show her. I was like, is this something I get in trouble for later? You is, know what I mean? Is this real life? Is, yeah. So, and she was a hot doctor. So anyways, <laughs> thank God I did because then I found out I was going to lose my leg if I did. Golly. But then I went and auditioned for Biggest Loser. Um, I went out there to, to LA. I ended up making the show. Um, they did use me. I was America's sweetheart. That was kind of my role that I played because it, it is a casting call. Now they really do help people lose weight, but they are looking for, but they're wanting people to, they're wanting people to get a connection with somebody. Yeah. They want a personality. So they want the single mom that's raising two kids. that doesn't take time for herself. They want the, the school teacher. They want the guy that, you know, for me, I was the guy that I was very severely abused as a kid by my stepdad, um, which they ended up pinpointing as the reason that I gained the weight because I was trying to get big enough that he couldn't pick on me anymore, that he couldn't do stuff to me. And, um, you know, so I was that, but I was also the guy that had succeeded from a small town, got a record deal, lived my dream, chased it, no matter, didn't let anything hold me back. So I kind of become this small town hero kind of deal that they used mm -hmm. on the show. Um, and then, of course, they had the wild and crazy guys that partied. My buddy Ramon, who was on the show, who was great. He was this, you know, half Hawaiian or half uh, Samoan, half Mexican guy. And he was a tattoo artist and he had the crazy hair and all the piercings. And, you know, and he was the biggest teddy bear you ever met in your life, right. you know. So, you know, they were looking for a casting call. And I, honestly, you know, it's such, such a beautiful thing that I got that chance. Uh, and that's why I feel obligated. You know, I, I feel like, you know, I got to do something that most people are never going to get a chance to do. And of course the show's done now. They don't, they don't film the show anymore. I'm sure they will again one day because it's a phenomenal right. show, but. Well, and it's helpful. I, it is. That's the thing. It you is. think about how many people that, I learned that you've never even every, seen. Everything I learned on that show, I still use in my life to this day. I learned how to, I learned how to count macros. I learned, I learned the difference in good, good carbs and bad carbs and good fat and bad fat and, you know, the proper amount of protein for your body and the way that you tell your resting metabolic rates and all that kind of stuff without going to the doctor, you know, and, 
I just learned so much and I use it in my everyday life now. And I, and also I help other people. Well, and that's the thing because uh, I mean, did you have any kind of knowledge of this before all no. this went down? I, mean, I knew how to lift. I was a power lifter in high school. I mean, I, I got trophies and state, you know, I had a state records back in the day and I was always a strong person as far as physical strength, but the mental strength and, and the, and the willpower and things like that. Willpower is the biggest thing you can learn. Cause you know, it, I tell people all the time, you can't out train a bad diet. So no matter how good you are at working out, if you go and you just eat pizza all day and you just eat bad food, you're never going to get the gains. You're never going to get the, um, health that you want. You know, you can get stronger and bigger, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're healthier. You know what I mean? And to me now it's like being healthy is such a big thing. You know, I got a son that's 11 months old. I, you know, I'm a naturally bigger guy. You know, you don't see too many 350, you know, 300 pound, uh, you know, 60, 70 year old guys running around. Right. So I want to make sure, you know, n- knowing that I did wait till I was 35 to have a kid, I want to make sure that when I'm 45, you know, and he's only 10 years old, yeah. you know, that I'm still able to get up when I'm 55, you know, that I'm still able to go watch him play football and, and, and be there and be present and teach him stuff, you know. But dude, and what'd you say you weigh? I weigh right at 300 pounds right now. Right out 300 pounds. But like when we were 299 gym, actually this morning, which <laughs> I was right under it, you know? which is, which is what set me into my like fitness journey was 298.8 pounds yeah. when I got on scales. And, but I'm, you know, a little bit smaller frame, whatever. And I just lost my mind. I had to go home, had to lose weight, but okay. So you're a 300 pound guy, but earlier you know, we're at the gym and you, you get ready to put on this amazingly sexy West fit. T-shirt. Oh, it's a nice shirt. Like, it's you comfy. take your shirt off. Your waist is tiny. Like you're just, your upper body is insane. Same. You know, I, I've always had a barrel chest, a huge, huge chest and shoulders and arms. And um, it's just the way my body's built, yeah. you know, and the smaller waist, you know, I do train. I, I work out hard, you know, to keep my waist smaller and, and trying to do that. And, um, you know, it's it's it, there's a lot of natural genetics that come into that. You know, you can never take away from your certain right. genetics the way your build is. Um, I'm what they call an endomesomorph. So my body, I have a lot of endomorph uh, tendencies, which means I can hold fat and gain muscle very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like a, a mesomorph can hold, hold it, but they don't really gain fat, you know? So they're the people that kind of just stay muscular all the time, even if they're not super strong or don't work out a lot. Right. Um, but I'm kind of a mixture of both. I can gain fat very quickly or I can gain muscle very quickly. Uh, and I have certain parts of my body that, you know, my legs are a little shorter and stockier, whereas my torso is a little longer, but then my chest is really broad, you know? So, you know, those, uh, those things right there are just the way I'm genetically made. Uh, and it is good for lifting. You know? yeah, it's, it helps with lifting and, uh, and the way that I'm built helps with lifting, you know? So, uh, you know, what's funny though, I tell people this all the time. When I came off Biggest Loser, I weighed 242 pounds. I wore a size 38 pants. So the way you build a body and the way you, what, the way you focus and the way you structure it as you're, you know, over the last seven years, I weigh, you know, which I also sweated out. So I was really probably about 355, 360 pounds whenever I was actually at the end of my thing, if I had all my water in me. Um, but you know, you're 40, 50 pounds heavier, but I wore two pant sizes smaller. You know, I went from a size 38 down to a size 34. So it's when you start noticing those things that, you know, the scale doesn't matter as much as the way you feel, the way you look in your clothes, the, the inches around your waist, you know, and you know, at the end of Biggest Loser, my arms are 15 and a half inches. They're 20 inches now, 20 and a half right. actually. Trying to get to that twenty two inch. That I'm trying to get that twenty two inch bicep, like, like you know, Hulk Hogan always was twenty four, twenty four inch, twenty four inch pythons. But absolutely, of course, he's like, he, at that point in time he was like six foot six. Now he's about six three because he, he's had about ten back surgeries. He is. He's so much. Like I posted a picture with him the other day, and people couldn't figure out. They were like, "Man, he's massive," but I thought he'd be a lot taller. And I was like, "Well, you know, was. twenty years ago he was." Yeah, you can only do so many. Uh, 
big leg drops off the top rope before you can yeah. press your spine. I think about seven or eight back surgeries into yeah. it, both knees, both hips replaced. Yeah. It starts to. And he's like the best dude ever. Oh, you know, we, we played so a show at his club down in Tampa. Um, of course, now he's moved it up to Daytona, I think. But um, we played a show down there, and, and he prayed for us before we went on stage. He's like, hey, guys, come here. I want to pray. And he showed up to the show because he loves music. Yep. And he, he was a bass player. Yeah, he was a bass player. And he come around and, and uh, he gathered us in and goes, hey, guys, you know, I, I know I'm drinking a beer right now. He said, but I, I, I love Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And he goes, and I want to I want to pray for you all before you go on stage, he said, because I just want to pray for your safety and, and make sure that, you know, everything goes right for you all. And that's been how, how many years ago? That was uh, four years ago, I think. Yeah. It was a, it was a four, 5th of July show. Which is funny because, you know, you hear all this stuff now that's coming out, you know, and oh, he's a bad person. Oh, he's the best guy. I, I've, I've been lucky enough to be around him uh, a few times and and in the gym every time you know just about but the guy is so incredibly genuine humble nice unbelievable guy. and that doesn't mean he's always been that way but that's absolutely who he, that's who he is now yep you know and i look at that and to me know, that's all that matters I, I think that a lot of people say and do a lot of stuff when they're mad when they're upset you know if somebody was hurting my daughter. I'm sure there's no telling what I would say. I don't have a daughter yet, but I plan on trying to have another baby. And if I had a little girl and I felt like she was being treated bad, there's no telling what I'd end up calling somebody. And, and, you know, I look at that and also say, man, he was mad. He said some things. It was wrong. And there's no doubt about that. You know, you you gotta, you gotta leave some of that stuff at, you know, just leave it out completely. But, but also look at him, you know, so many folks and, and, you know, even from, from the black community that are wrestlers and people came to his aid and were like, no, dude, he might have said that word, but he helped me more than anybody. He's the only reason. Mr. T, obviously, he brought Mr. T into the wrestling world and, you know, made him famous. And, and he helped out, you know. And you see so many of the other guys that come in uh, from, you know, from the black community. And they're like, dude, this guy's the best guy in the world. He helped us. I don't care if he said that word or not. So, you know, it's just hard. And, you know, but people, certain people are going to run with something that they hear. And they're going to take that. And they're going to be like, that's who he is. I'm like, no, that's not who he is. If you never met him. Don't don't judge a person if you haven't actually spent time. With I judge them, you a know? person on how they treat me. How they treat me. And that guy's you know? been. In, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I and I he wouldn't know me. And he was one of my he was right one right of my heroes as, when I was growing up. And I've like, ripped off so many tank tops when I was a kid. <laughs> I still and, do it today. Well, I was going to say when I was in college, I ripped a. Tank Although top. I realized that you have to put a little slit in the neck. You know? <laughs> it's it funny. Don't, it don't work as good if you don't have a slit in the neck. It depends on how many cocktails you have beforehand, but. Yeah, That's no, good. he's he's an awesome guy. So speaking of wrestlers and, and guys in the entertainment industry, like our kind of our mutual friend Hollywood Yates. Oh yeah, how yeah, the wolf. wolf? Yeah, <laughs> American Gladiator. Uh, I didn't see him at the gym today. He must be a little princess right now. But uh, how'd you guys hook up? <laughs> I've been drunk three times in my life. <laughs> so let's just preface that I don't normally drink. Um, we were at the ACM Awards, <laughs> and we went to the after party at John Rich's suite. Um, and who you used to work security? I used to be for. security for John. Uh, whenever I first come to town, I drive him around and stuff. But we show up at his party, and John said, "The only way you can come in here, Vinny, is if you have a drink with me." So I'm like, "Whatever, I'll have a drink." Well, he made me a Crown and Coke, I believe, is what it was, and I drank it. It was pretty good. I was like, "Ah, it wasn't that bad," you know. And it was probably more more Coke than Crown, you know. So I ended up drinking two or three more, and then a couple more. <laughs> and keep in mind, I'm, I'm I'm almost 500 pounds. Well, the next thing you know, I'm in there. 500 pounds and don't drink. And don't drink. Yeah, it was all food, food 500. So I literally, <laughs> I look over at this dude and he was like six foot eight and just a massive beast of a guy. And I was like, I'm going to wrestle that guy. <laughs> and it was not Hollywood Yates. It was Jared Allen. Oh, really? Yeah. And well, first I tried to wrestle John and John said, go wrestle one of those guys. 
So I go over and I find the biggest dude in the place. I'm going to wrestle him, you know. So I look at him and I'm like, you want to wrestle? He's like, well, you fell on my leg. You ruined my whole career because <laughs> I was so fat, you know. Yeah. And he didn't know me. He, but now I know him well, but I, he didn't know me then. I didn't know him. Well, I knew who Jared Allen was, but I'd never met him in person. Right. So I didn't know what he looked like without a helmet on. <laughs> but he had this big mullet. <laughs> didn't have his jersey. No, he had, he had this big him. mullet and he was just this crazy looking dude. And he's wearing these blinged out blue jeans and he had, you know, a nice shirt on. He, was, he just looked crazy. I was like, that's who I want to wrestle. The craziest looking dude in this place. And so he was like, literally looked at me. He's like, he's like, I ain't gonna wrestle you, you know. And he was, which I'm surprised he didn't. After I got to know him better, I'm surprised he didn't just kick my. Yeah, this is a guy that goes and hunts buffaloes yeah. with a stick. I'm surprised he didn't just kick my butt, but thank God he didn't. But then all of a sudden, this other guy goes, I'll wrestle you, and it was Hollywood Yates. Oh. And so next thing I know, we're wrestling. We end up in the hot tub wrestling, you know, acting like idiots. And man, we just become good buddies that night. And you know, we were. Man, we were just all over that rooftop on the balcony and acting like idiots. But and he told me, you know, obviously he was he's a singer as well. And um, we ended up he ended up cutting a couple of songs that me and Butter wrote. And you know, Butter's I think produced a little bit on him. And man, we just become good buddies, you know. And I didn't realize dude. I didn't know who he was. And he kept saying he was Hollywood Yates. Well, then somebody called him Wolf, and I'm like, wait, right? You're Wolf from American Gladiator? And he's like, yeah. I'm like. Why do I choose all these people to wrestle? Of course, then I find out like he was used to fighting things way bigger than me because he was used to fighting all those bulls. And yeah, stuff, you and, know? and that's what's crazy is like people don't realize they know him as Wolf still to this day. Yeah. They know him as Wolf, the American Gladiator. But he's a three time way before that man. He was he was a he was a bullfighter. Yeah, world and champion. Still three does. Times. Yeah, yeah. No, he just did a, a big thing here in Franklin. I didn't get to watch him. I was out of town that mm -hmm. weekend, but we worked out while he was here. And you know he's you know he he ended up hurting his shoulder a couple years ago. I think at you know, at a bull, at a fighting a bull or whatever. And so, excuse me, he's not as, uh, he's not as strong as he was once. And so he was kind of like, now Vinny, I can't lift the weight. I, he still got in there ripped out 225 like it wasn't nothing. Still a so big dude, yeah. He was still in there ripping it out. So he's still very strong and all that. But just in his mind, I guess when you're not as strong as you once was, you still don't feel, you don't feel strong, you know. Uh, but just a great guy too, man. One of my favorite people to hang out with. I mean, I could spend the whole day with that guy and laugh and cut up. And, you know, what's funny is he's got that big old fake, teeth smile you know i guess i don't know if he's got veneers or what he's got but he's got this Has huge to. huge smile something going on and we were i remember we were eating at los palmas one day i used to love to go eat mexican food back when i was fat i still love mexican food yeah, me I, just, too. I just can't eat it as much as i used to but um we were sitting there and we're eating and all these women just keep stopping like oh my gosh you're you're gorgeous just keep, he goes thank you honey and and he, he don't really pay him no attention <laughs> finally this 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 girl comes by and she probably weighed 300 pounds i mean big old black girl and she was actually she was very pretty right i mean she was big but she was she was a pretty right. girl she could not get enough of hollywood i mean she kept coming by and touching him on his chest uh -huh. running her hands through his hair he's like honey i i'd take care of you like you've never been taken care of and of course he told her he was married and all that kind of stuff but she was just relentless but it was just amazing like he has this presence that anywhere he goes he's going to be the most like famous person in the room even if nobody knew who he was when he walked in the room dude there's something about the guy and i remember like the first time i really hung out with him we were we were here in nashville and it was i don't remember if it was crs or cm you know cma fest or, or something anyways there's a bunch of people in town right and, and so hollywood calls me and he says where you at and i'm in some you know some place here in town and he said meet me here or no i'll come to you so he shows up there and, and he's like hey we're gonna go over here and meet some people Okay, next thing I know, we're losers, all right? Midtown, back when losers wasn't as popular as it is bit, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when, when people could go in there and hang out. And, so, and then losers is closed. 
they're kicking everybody out and i'm like okay time we gotta go, we gotta go. He, no no, we no 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 we don't we, we're not going anywhere we go to the back room so everybody's gone and i look around and i go to the bathroom i come out and hollywood's at this table with these two guys and they've commenced to playing bloody knuckles there's four people in the bar, a bouncer and a bartender, and I'm one of the four people. And I look over, and Hollywood's playing Bloody Knuckles, and I'm like, "What in the? We're, this is this is <laughs> the dumbest eighth thing. Grade again? Yeah, yeah, this is the dumbest thing I've ever, I've ever seen." Well, I get over to the table, and it's him and Zach Brown, and the other guy standing there is Derek Huff from Dancing yeah. with the Stars, and yeah. I'm like, "Did I fall into some like crazy Twilight little Twilight Zone? zone. <laughs> I'm with an American Gladiator, Zach Brown, and, and this Dancing guy from with the Dancing with the Stars." And you're just wishing that his sister Julianne would walk in because oh, she's gorgeous. So yeah, well, why Julianne here? Why you guys? Oh. And Derek, he's a good looking dude, but he, you know, he's but he, he's, he's no Julianne. He's a dude. He's you know? no Julianne. But it was the funniest thing in the world. And there's a picture floating around out there because they go to take a picture with their hands in the ice buckets because you know they beat each other up like they're sixth graders. And I'm I'm thinking I'm out of the camera angle and I just look like a zombie in the background, like the most stalkerish dude in the world. But it, it was crazy. So then I thought, well, you know, Hollywood's kind of a big deal. Longer I got to know him, I realized no, not not even a little bit, not so much, yeah, uh, not not as big a deal as I thought he would. No, he's a cool yeah. guy, really cool guy. Yeah, but he he is just he he's the most famous person in the room always, always. He really is. He's just one of those guys you like being around. But you talk about him doing music. How did you get to Nashville? You grew up in you Tennessee, know, didn't you? I grew up just south of Nashville. My dad actually played uh, guitar, and he was a road guy, and he was a fill-in guy, even though. He was good enough that he could have been playing anywhere, doing anything, but he had, you know, drug problems and drinking That's your problems. real dad. My real dad. Um, he uh, he started off playing with Ernie Lynn, which is Loretta Lynn's son, uh, and then he ended up playing for Loretta some just by default because he was such a phenomenal player. And, you know, if somebody had to miss, you know, he would fill in. Um, and then finally he got an opportunity to audition for Alan Jackson's band uh, with a guy named Robbie Flynn, who is still Alan Jackson's uh, still guitar player to this day. So he goes and he auditions, and they both get the part. You know, he auditioned with Robbie, you know, and they both get the part. Well, literally about a day after he had been told he got the part of being the guitar player for Alan Jackson, who had just come out, he uh, gets a call from Loretta, and Steve Miller Band needed a fill-in guy. And, I, t- you know, she and Loretta put it out there for my dad, said, hey, this guy's great. And my dad could not go play with Steve, Steve Miller, Miller Band. Steve Miller Band, yeah. And, of course, now, obviously, lead lead guitar player for Steve Miller Band is going to be Steve Miller because he's a phenomenal guitar player, but... My dad got to go and play, you know, backups and rhythms and stuff like that. And I think he played some lead, but um, it was only a couple of weeks because the one, one of, I guess, their guy that normally did it was out, you know. So he turned down the Alan Jackson gig, which would have been a lifelong gig, right? To go out with them. So, but, but at the time, who knows? Yeah, but no. he, you know, he didn't know that. But literally, this is a statement he made. He said he told Robbie. Robbie said, "Look, man, I think you need to stick with this one. I, I know it's it's cool to go play with Steve Miller Band, but man, I think this guy's going to be something." And my dad said. Who's going to listen to a song about neon rainbows? <laughs> so that was my dad's famous quote. And uh, and then he ended up, after after the Steve Miller gig, he went out with David Allen Cole for a little while. And then um, he actually overdosed on black tar heroin. Uh, after he'd come back off the road, he, um, you know, one night got on too much stuff and he overdosed on black tar heroin. And then he said he was laying there and he said as he was laying there, he said he could see his body. And he said, God, if you'll deliver me from this, I'll serve you the rest of my days. Uh, the next morning he woke up. No withdrawal. Never went through withdrawals. No addiction. It was like he was healed from from all of that, uh, and he honored God. And from that point on, he went down to Florida, found my stepmom, who was his high school sweetheart. Uh, they got married, had three kids, and um, he became a preacher until the day he really? died. He died on a Sunday right after he preached his final sermon, which his final sermon was called "The Angel of Death," and it was about how you got to be ready to go when it's your time because you never know when it could happen. And literally in in his sermon, he says, "You could die in a car wreck on the way home tonight. You just never know." 
and he died in a car wreck on the way home that night. Really? So we, we played at his funeral, we played his sermon, his last sermon as his, you know, eulogy, I yeah. guess you'd say or whatever. But, um, so you guys had gotten back together. We had, yeah, I didn't really know him until I was about eight. I'd met him a couple times, but didn't really know him until I was about eight. And that's when he had moved back and he was a, he was a preacher and he was a, a associate pastor at, uh, church of God, Linden church of God. And, um, you know, I wanted to know him, but I also had this like, kind of like, I don't know, you have never been here for me, you know? So I was kind of a little reserved from him, yeah. uh, for a long time. And, uh, I told you earlier, you know, I was, uh, severely beat by my stepdad for a long time. And my, my stepdad was a Navy SEAL and he was in Vietnam and he had his own issues. He's probably 18 years older than my mom. I think, you know, he's in his seventies now, but he, uh, you know, he had his own demons he was dealing with, but he, he beat me and my brother up really bad. When I said we got beat, it wasn't like, Hey, you whooped me too hard with a belt or he hit me on, you know, somewhere that he shouldn't have hit me. It was like, no, it was his fist. It was, uh, extension cables. It was, um, he broke a sling blade handle over my back, God you know, me. like it was, it was brutal. Yeah. And it, I was about 12 years old, 12 and a half, you know, whatever is my seventh grade year. However old you go in seventh grade. But, um, I had come home late. I was supposed to be home at six o'clock. It was like six Oh five and he wasn't home yet. So I thought I'd get home before he got home. But I get in the car and, or in his truck, cause he happened to be coming down the driveway as I was walking home and he just starts going off on me. And next, next thing I know, he's slamming my head into the window of, of the truck and everything. And I get out and I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. So I get out and I take off running while I end up, you know, getting caught. Cause I was a little fat kid. I weighed about 230 pounds whenever I was 11 years old. Um, so I'm probably about 240 at this point, you know, and he catches me and he gets me on the ground and he's, he's beating me up pretty bad. Well, he ended up breaking my nose and I'm just pouring blood out of my face and my mom's coming down the driveway. Now, normally he never hit us in front of my mom, but she knew he hit us, you know, but she just, yeah. she didn't see it. So it was almost like, well, it don't exist cause I didn't see it. Yeah. But this particular day she saw him hit me and I ran over to her and I was crying and she looked at me and she goes, what did you do to him to make him do that to you? So to me, at that point, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be here anymore. So I call my dad, who I've never lived with. I've only, I've been around him, you know, several times at this point, but I never really lived with him or or had like a relationship. Mm-hmm. And I just called him. I said, look, this is what just happened. It's been going on for a long time. Can you come get me? And my stepdad was a very materialistic person, so he's like, you're not taking anything with you. Anything I paid for, the only thing you can have is the clothes on your back. You can't take nothing else. So I said, okay, that's fine. So my dad comes and picks me up, him and my Uncle Richie, and, of course, they brought a gun because <laughs> uh, they were like, you know, okay, something went down. They pick me up, and they, you know, I get in the car, and he looks at my stepdad. He says, you ever touch him again, I'll kill you, you know? And my dad's a preacher, so he'll have yeah. that. That wasn't yeah. who his natural, uh, you know, thing Yeah, was, but, but we've had this conversation. I mean, that's yeah. just what you do with family. Oh, yeah, with your family. And my dad always wanted to know me, and he always wanted to be in my life, but my mom just didn't allow it. You know, and back then, I think it's a little more easy now for the dads to get some access to the kids. But back then, it was like if the mom the mom got the kids, no ends, ifs, or buts about it. Plus, my dad was on the road all the time at that point anyway, so he wouldn't have had a chance. But um, anyway, so I ended up moving in with my dad for about a year. And where I moved into, in, in this little bitty 1,200-square-foot house uh, with one bathroom, it had my stepmom, my dad, his other three kids, which was my brother, Stephen, my sister, Stephanie and Stacy, and then also my uncle Richie and my um, cousin, Terry, who's very severely mentally challenged. We all four shared a room, my brother, myself, and then my uncle and my cousin. Um, and I mean, it was, you know, it was a 12 by 12 room. It was a tiny, you know, tiny little room, but we had two sets of bunk beds in there and that's where we slept. So I, uh, I was sharing a bed with my brother and all this other stuff, but we, uh, Anyways, I, I, I just basically one day decided, you know what, I need to move out. I'm 14. I was almost 15 years old. I think I was going into my freshman year. I was like, I need to go and 
do this on my own. And so I called. I was working at Rusty Fishhook at the time, washing dish, dishes every Sunday for the church rush. And I was working at Pope Trucking Company, washing the diesels on Saturday when they'd come in from the road. I'd wash all the all the big rigs, and I got paid twenty five dollars a truck. At like fourteen. At four, you know, almost fifteen. Fourteen, yeah. fifteen. And uh, so I'd wash the the trucks, I'd wash the dishes, and I'd make about one hundred and fifty dollars a week doing that. And so I called this lady up, uh, my, my best friend's mom. And I said, look, I said, normally y'all get a, they, normally they'd get a foreign exchange every year. They didn't have one this year coming in that, that I knew about. And um, so I asked him if I could rent a bedroom in their house, you know, the spare bedroom. And she's like, well, what do you need to rent it for? And I said, well, you know, I was just at this point in my life, I, you know, I just I feel like I'm a win. So my dad and, you know, I don't fit in here because they were very I mean, they were all born and raised into a Christian foundation and love each other. And there was no. You know, they didn't fight about stuff. You know, they didn't pick on each other. Like, it was just a very loving household. And that's a beautiful thing. But I came from a household where it was like every day was, you got to fight. You know, you got, you know, me and my older brothers, we fought all the time. And I love my older brothers. They're great, you know. But we fought. I'm talking about, I mean, we punched each other in the face. Like, you know, I mean, nobody else messed with our, with with any of us. But I punched my, I mean, it was a daily thing that me and my brother were probably going to punch each other in the face, you know. So, I went to school half the time with black eyes and it wasn't even my stepdad that was doing it. It was my, my older brother, but, but anyways, but we were all still best friends, but, um, you know, I was a couple of times I picked on my little brother, of course, his mom, you know, my stepmom, who is a phenomenal human being. She did what a mom should do. She said, don't you touch him? You know, I can't, you're too big mm-hmm. to be touching him. So I always took it as she was calling me fat. Cause I was made fun of for being fat my whole life, you know? Oh. And so, you know, we didn't get along great. And that's when I kind of just made the decision. And I literally moved out on my own and I started paying my own rent. I still played football. I still, you know, went to school, made decent grades, you know. Um, and I I worked at both those jobs. And then when I turned 16, I got a job at Sonic Drive-In uh, working there as well. And so I, I was working two or three jobs, going to school, you know, trying to figure out life. And um, I just knew that I wanted to be in control, you know. I was tired of anybody having any say so over me that I did, and I didn't trust adults at the time, you know, because of what I'd been through. Yeah, Even though my dad was a phenomenal guy and a great man of God, and but I didn't trust him still because of everything that had been happened to me, you know, and he had never been there for me. So I still had this like, I don't know, a vendetta against him or against my stepmom, you know, and so part of it was my fault, you know, it wasn't just that their fault, but you know, and but it all stemmed from my stepdad and from my mom, so. I, uh, I did, you know, I did what I had to do and I, I made my way and, you know, I ended up becoming a general manager at the age of 19, uh, for Sonic drive-in. I was making about 45, 50 grand a year starting off. And I got up to about 60 grand a year, uh, by the time I was 21 years old. Well, I took the money I was making. I invested into the music industry and, I bought a little studio on, uh, 18th Avenue. I had no clue how to use the equipment, really? but I was like, I knew that I loved music so much. I was like, I need to invest in music. Because if I don't invest something, I'm just going to go keep making money and, and I won't have any tie to it. Um, so I was writing songs, you know, whenever I could, whenever I was off work. Um, and I'd work 80 hours a week, you know, at Sonic at this point. You know, I only worked at Sonic. Um, but I was a GM, so I was a salary paid employee. You know, I got paid salary and then I made bonuses. So my goal was to run food costs and labor costs and all these things because if I ran it, the more money I made, you know. Um, and the way they paid you is they paid you 2500 a month base and then you got 20% of the store's profit every month. So during the summertime, dude, I mean, my, my bonus checks would be five, six grand, you know, That's so crazy. I, I wanted for to make a 19 sure year I, old kid for, you know, in 20 at this point, when I become general manager, I was right at 20 and, uh, but I kept going to Nashville every night. I would work, you know, eight to 10 hours a day and I'd get off work and I'd go to Nashville, you know, and then there were some days I didn't go to Nashville. I would work, you know, 12, 13 hours in those days and just stay there all day. And, you know, I was, a uh, 
I had a problem with delegation in the beginning of my management skills because I, I just didn't think anybody could do it as good as me. So I didn't want to teach anybody how to do it. You know, I just going to do it myself and get it done faster. Um, which finally I got pointed out, like the reason you're not competing at your top level and not performing at your top level is because you are trying to do everything yourself. Um, but anyways, I would go to Nashville every night. I'd go to songwriters nights, put my name on the list, hope, hopefully get up and get up, you know, to play. And I'd be out there until two or three in the morning. Then I'd had to drive an hour back to McEwen, Tennessee, where I was, my Sonic was located. Um, but I made that drive, you know, at least three or four to five times a week, you know, just, you know, for the opportunity to try and be able to play somewhere and somebody hear my music and, um, sure enough, one night I played at this show, I got done and this woman walks up to me, she goes, I love your music. If, you know, and she thought I worked for John Rich. She thought I wrote for him. She didn't know I was just doing security for him every now and then. And, uh, so sure enough, she, um, she gave me her card and she said, I'm going to call you tomorrow. And I gave her my business, my Sonic business card, <laughs> the general manager card. Cause I was awesome. And, uh, sure enough, the next day she calls Sonic and, they asked for, she asked for Vinny, which nobody knew who was because I used to go by Pig was my nickname and that's what I went by. Really? Yeah, even my employees called me Pig. So, um, sure, you know, they, anyway, they ended up bringing me the phone and it's like, hey, this is Jenny. I met you last night. I want to talk to you about the publishing deal, about, you know, writing songs, you know, I was going to start writing songs for a living. She's like, can you come to Nashville today? She goes, I like to do, I like to do business face to face. I said, well, I got to work all day today. Can we do it tomorrow? And she said, no, she goes, I'm headed back to Chicago tonight to put together my funds for this publishing company. She goes, I need to know everything because I got to talk to all my, the people that are going to invest and do all that. And she was an investment banker out of Chicago. So I'd never done it before, but I asked my first assistant, I was like, hey, can you stay and work my shift today? Now, my supervisor never checked on me. I ran one of the top four Sonics in the nation whenever I was 19 years old. So my supervisors never checked up on me. So I was like, whatever, I can leave. So I put my first assistant in charge and I leave. Well, sure enough, I get a call 30 minutes after I'm on my way to Nashville Hey, pig, it's Rod, it's Rod Newberry. I'm at your store. I'm like, okay. He goes, well, you're on the schedule to work, but you're not here. I was like, well, interesting thing happened. I told him, he's like, I don't care. You know, you're supposed to be here. Yeah, it's not your job. Yeah. And uh, I was like, well, man, I said, you know what? I performed and I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I said, and one time in my life, I have to go see what this is about. And I said, and if that makes you want to fire me for one thing, I was like, I promise you another Sonic will hire me. <laughs> That's what I told him. And, uh. You know, he told me, he's like, Vinny, that's stupid. You know, there's so many people out there doing that, you know, trying to get, you know, it never makes any money and this and that. You know, uh, we all live in Nashville. We mean, we've seen so many people try and make it and fail. And, um, but I got up to Nashville. She offered me the publishing deal and she asked me how much I made a month. And I said, well, my base salary is 2,500. And, you know, so if I could get 60 grand a year, you know, with my bonuses and stuff, you know, if you could pay me, she goes, I'll give you 2,500 a month. <laughs> so I had to really think about it because I was going to be taking a huge pay cut, you know, and all this, but I was going to be doing exactly what I wanted to do. Right. And anyways, I put in my two week notice. She gave me the deal. I moved to Nashville and I went from paying $300 a month for a two bedroom, two bath, uh, town or, uh, Con, or was it called a duplex that I was staying in to paying $950 a month for a two bedroom apartment in Nashville and less money uh, and way less money. But I had a roommate, a guy named Stephen Cochran, who y'all may have heard of. He's an artist as well. And he ended up being my first song I ever had cut. And um, he was a Marine that got you know blown up in Iraq and back broken six spots, told him he'd never walk again, but he ended up walking again. Now he puts on shows and uh, you know, God had a hand in that, you know, but, uh, so I was having some success as a songwriter immediately as soon as I got to Nashville and people took notice of that. Well, me and a little guy named Butter had created this band called Trailer Choir and we were just doing frat parties. We were just doing it to make extra money. We both had the same publishing deal because he ended up signing the same time I did. And, um, 
you know, we were making some money and we were doing okay, but you know, I was struggling, <laughs> struggling so much that I actually ended up doing, um, a thing called Chunkendale. I actually ended up being a stripper. Uh, wait, wait, <laughs> wait, you can't just like skirt by that. I, I'm not going to skirt by it, but it, it, it was, it was about, I did it about 10 times, about 10 bachelorette parties or birthday Legit. parties legitimately. Yeah. That and, is and awesome. I, I literally, we was at a show one night at a place called Bluesboro in Murfreesboro. And I was dancing, you know, and how you know how I dance. I'm crazy. So I get done, and this guy walks up from Starlight Entertainment. He goes, hey, I want you to be my head Chunkendale. I was like, what's that? He goes, it's a male stripper, but fat. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I probably ain't going to ever do that. He's like, he's like, dude, I'm telling you, you can make so much money, man. You'd be surprised. These bras are- As big as you were, man, you could move. I could move. I, yeah, I, was, I, was, I could do the worm and the splits, and I was always flexible, and I was very strong. And at this point in time, I was probably right at 400 pounds. It wasn't my heaviest, but I was- I was big. And so he's like, you got it. You got to do it, man. I'm telling you, these broads will pay you all kinds of money. And he's, he's like this little tight, like everything you think a guy that would own a chunk and Dale business would be. That was this guy stereotypical. And he even had the little, like, I'm telling you, dude, you will make so much fuck. Sorry. Freaking money. You know, he said the other word. He, he's just going off and he's like, and I was like, dude, I'm never going to do that. It will never happen in a million years. Well, about two weeks later, my lights got cut off because we didn't have enough money to pay the light bill. So I'm sitting there with no money in my bank account, no food in the refrigerator, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what we're going to do. I'm thinking about calling my publisher and saying, hey, I need some extra money, but I don't want to do that because I'm too prideful, you know. So I see this little business card sitting there with Starlight Entertainment on top of my dresser. And I'm like, well, I'm going to call this guy and see if he's got anything. So I call him. I said, dude, I need to make some money right now. He goes, dude, I'm going to cancel my other guy. I want you to go do it tonight. Have you ever done Have you ever done anything like that? I was like, well, no. And he goes, he goes, you'll be fine. Just take, pick out, th- you know, three or four songs you can dance to and go put on a show. He goes, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a $250 guarantee, but then you make tips and blah, blah, blah. Um, it was a 500 guarantee, but he got 50%. So oh, of course, a little, little side, little, little, I come to find out that that, that booking agency, uh, uh, a 50% booking fee is a little, a little much. Expensive agent. Yeah. So I drive out to Murfreesboro. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I've never done this kind of thing before. I went and bought these little Superman boxers, you know, that I thought looked cool. I'm 400 pounds. I got my overalls on. I still wore my overalls because I was going to have my character. I walk in with my guitar and I'm playing. Remember, there was a song by a player's club. It's like, tell me what kind of Superman can take you in his bedroom, baby. Hit you with some from back and side to side. Anyway, so I walk in playing that song on the guitar singing. They got the girl blindfolded. She doesn't even know that I'm massively huge. Walk in singing, all black girls, every one of them, and the the bachelorette was probably a hundred pounds heavier than me, <laughs> huge. And I start playing my guitar and I'm singing. I all of a sudden I hit party like it's your birthday, you know, and and I'm I'm dancing to it and all this stuff. While I'm I'm backing up on her. Well, then they take the blindfold off over while I'm on her, and she goes, "Oh, he a fat white guy," <laughs> and I was like, I was like, that's rude. And I keep dancing. She goes, "You fine, honey." You know, keep dancing. So I keep dancing. I, I I got my hands on the floor and I got my my legs up around her, you know, and I, I'm popping it on and everything. And as I start to get up and walk away, she reaches up and she grabs my little boxers because I wasn't supposed to get naked. Right. That wasn't part of the deal. And she just swoop, pulls them down. Boom. So I'm standing there in the room, butt naked in front of all these girls, nervous as crap. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I was like, well, I'm just going to own it. So I just start dancing on everybody there. They start throwing money at me. <laughs> I walked out with about $1,000 in tips. No way. Yeah. From the very from the, my very first one I ever did. I'm, of course, then I'm like, I call my roommate, call Steven. Steven, 
I just made a thousand dollars in tips. Order so me I, a pizza. I gotta I, get yeah. bigger. So I made twelve hundred and fifty bucks, you know, on that on that one little run. So I was like, dude, I said I should have been doing this a long time ago. You know, so I can definitely see why strippers sometimes fall into that. Cause you know, if you can go make, you know, a thousand bucks a night, you know, you can only work two or three days a week and make huge money. Jackpot. But sure enough, you know, I I I went on and we we had started gathering some fame around town at the time. Like we had become this like this local Nashville band that you had to go see, you know. So um, which was funny because then ended up having people show up at the show that I'd done the parties. They didn't even know they were walking into the show. They just walked in like, hey, you're that dude. It was at my bachelorette party, you know, uh, or at the bachelorette party I was at, uh, which was pretty cool, actually. And it helped me out a lot in the uh, lady category. Yeah, you know I bet I mean. so. Because um, <laughs> like, I'm a stripper, you know. So uh, It's funny because I say that all the time. I've never done it. Never no, done I've actually, yeah, <laughs> now I've actually got a buddy that has. Well, uh, I... Uh, Actually, my last time Toby hired me when we were on the Toby tour to do Micah Roberts' um, 40th birthday party. So while we were on tour, I, Toby hired me to do his backup singer's uh, 40th birthday party, and that was my last time doing it. <laughs> you say you retired? I retired on the well, Toby tour. I actually retired before we went on the Toby tour because the record label. When we signed that first record deal, um, I, you know, we had to, we had to tell them everything we do, you know, did, you know, and I told them, oh, I'm a stripper, you know, I do this, blah. They're like, yeah, don't do that anymore. Yeah, no more. They're like, I was like, why not? They're like, well, there's gonna be pictures. I was like, yeah, but who cares? Like, we care. We're trying to build a brand, and you're gonna be right. this happy-go-lucky. Everybody loves you. We can't have naked pictures of you coming out dancing on girls and all this other stuff. I'm like, you know how much money I was making? Well, we went, you know, we get on the Toby tour. You don't get paid no money. It's zero dollars. They put you on a tour bus and they take you, you know, all your food and everything, but you don't get paid anything. Did I read where, I mean, it was kind of like on you guys to figure out where you were going to play. Or, oh, absolutely. Yeah, really? We, we took our college PA from all the frat parties we had played on the road because we weren't part of that tour. We weren't part of live. It was a live nation tour. Right. You signed so your deal. We signed the deal on, on Tuesday. And then that Thursday we were on, we got on a tour bus with people we'd never met that didn't know we were getting on a tour bus with them. Flynnville train. Wow. They had no clue that what was going on. They're like, why are y'all on our bus? we're on this bus too, you know? So we got two bands on the bus that never met each other. We had just signed the deal. Um, so we get there the very first day we're in Birmingham, Alabama, dude, I'll, I'll never forget this as long as I live. I'm on a high, like you wouldn't believe I couldn't even sleep, you know, and not high. I was high on life, not high yeah. on drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I walk into the catering and I see there's Toby and Miranda, you know, Miranda Lambert was on that tours before she got super huge famous. So she was the main support for Toby, which Toby really didn't. He only took out acts that he really liked because he didn't, he don't have to have anybody help him sell tickets because he can sell them all himself. Yeah. But he loved Miranda. He thought she was great. And so they're sitting there, and oh, everybody's sitting at the table, and Miranda's got her crew, and Toby's got his crew, and I'm walking around. And I got this big old huge plate of food, man. I talk, I loaded it up because it's all you could, you know, you can eat as much as you want. And Toby, and the cool thing about Toby is everybody from the local, lowest guy on the local crew uh, to, to himself, they're all welcome to eat his catering. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't count, he doesn't count anybody out. A lot of, a lot of folks won't let you, you know, won't let the local crew eat their catering, but Toby feeds everybody and takes care of everybody, which is awesome. That's cool. So I get my play. I'm, I'm like in high school. Like I'm going to sit at the big kids table. So I go sit down right with Miranda and Toby. And I say to him, I was like, Hey man, I was looking at the, the show times on the wall. We're not on the show time. He goes, well, y'all not playing the main stage. I'm like, Oh, I said, well, what are we playing? He goes, well, there's a side stage today. He goes, but some of these amphitheaters don't have, you know, side stages or whatever. I was like, okay. I was like, well, what do we do if we don't have a side stage? He goes, I think what we're going to do is let y'all go out in the parking lot and y'all are going to do, um, parking lot parties and you know crash people's tailgates and so like you had no idea no plan no no clue just get on the bus we'll figure Toby it out just loved go. us so much he wanted us out there that's awesome and so and i was like crazy well, how, all yeah and i was like time. how much are we getting paid he's like oh you don't get you get paid in exposure 
So I literally, I was like, well, I'm pretty sure I can't call Nashville Electric Service and say, hey, I got some Toby Keith exposure, you know, but he was right. You know, it's like, it was a blessing. A lot of people have to pay to be on those tours. You know, they pay good money, five, six grand a night just to be able to go out and open um, because you're going to get so much, you're going to get 20,000, 40,000 people a night and sometimes 60 or 80 on some of these big festivals uh, are going to see you play. And that's a big deal. You know, you can't just, that's not something you can just go out and get, you know, on your own. You have to be tied in with somebody. And so, you know, we did the parking lot parties. We did the side stages. We did all this stuff. I, I was obviously making way less money than I was used to. I mean, we had got to where we were getting $3,500 a night doing frat parties, you know, because we... And that's we, wild. I mean, especially for we, somebody that nobody knows, yeah, really. but we had become the... Well, everybody in the SEC, we were we were SEC famous. And, okay, gotcha. Um, as far as what we were doing, I mean, we were making bank. At this point, I was used to making a lot of good money. But now, you know, we're not... We weren't really allowed to go play the frat parties and... Um, you know, the tailgates and the stuff that we'd end up doing for the colleges, not just for the frat parties, but for the colleges, they would hire us to do, you know, campus things for, for uh, tailgate parties for football games and stuff like that. We got paid big money for those, you know. A lot of times that was a lot more, obviously, than the uh, than the frat parties. Some of the, I mean, we started off at 700 bucks a night for the frat parties. Me and Butter lost money. Yeah. I mean, you know, but we, yeah. we were like, ah, oh, whatever, you know, we, we got to go out there and build our name. You chasing know, you gotta, the dream. Yeah, chasing the dream. But we quickly built because we become this, everybody wanted us. And, then, and so finally we were with Crescent Moon Entertainment. And they said, well, if you want them, you know, we got 10 people that want them this weekend, you know, or want them that weekend because that's, you know, it's homecoming or it's this or it's that. So it's like, if you want them, this is how much it's going to be. And some people are willing to pay it. You know, a lot of times two or three frats would come together that were all trying to hire us at the same place. Uh, and they would actually work together as opposed to having their own frat party. They would right. get two or three of them together and have a big frat party and kind of do it right there in the, what do they call it? Greek row. They just do it right in the middle of the lawn where all the things were. And we go out there and play, you know, so we got to, we, we unified the frats, you know, um, but you know, we didn't get paid any money. I mean, so I went to, from making really good money, you know, every weekend of making no money again, and you this know? Is, yeah. Again, this and is we're, like but, but you're, you're on the happened. major tour, you know, you're on this thing and, you know, when I got the record, deal, I called my mom, I'm paying off all your bills. I called my brother, I'm going to buy you a new truck, you know, like you just think, you know, you think, you know, on TV, when you see people get a record deal on a TV it. show, they're all of a sudden they're millionaires and it's just not like that, you know? Um, but I was convinced it was like that too, you know, and next thing I know we're on CMT or we got a movie and a song and a movie and I'm like, man, we should be rich, you know? Uh, but it just didn't work like that. It wasn't until beer gut came out that we really started making any money. I mean, really, we were playing all free dates until Beer Gut. When Beer Gut came out and started doing good, though, we went from making, you know, we, we'd still have some three and $5,000 nights because of Toby's name. We would get those shows. Right. Uh, not because we deserved them. But when Beer Gut came out, I mean, we quickly jumped up to being a fifteen dollars to $20,000 a night act, you know, and it changed my life. You what know? was the first song you heard on the radio that was, that was either yours oh, or one that you wrote? Well, the first one I ever heard that I wrote was a song called Friday Night Fireside by Stephen Cochran. And, um, me and actually me and butter and Isaac rich wrote the song. Uh, but he cut it and it was his first video. It was first one. I said, it was on CMT. It was, did on, you have that little TV moment where it's like, Oh, oh dude, that's my song. I, well, I was actually in the video cause he was my roommate, you know? Yeah. So we were best buds and, uh, it was a blessing, man. It was, you know, it, it only got to, I think it got to 50 on the charts, you know, which is hard to do. It's hard to get even into the fifties, mm-hmm. uh, especially, and he was on as, as independent label as you could get Aria records. It was super independent, but they, his story was so cool because he had fought for the country, had done all this stuff. And he was an entertainer. I mean, he was, he's like, he's one of those guys that's got this, like he draws you in with his look, you know, just has this intense, you know, he was a Marine recon. He was special forces. So he had like this whole different gear and level that he could go to, you know, on the stage. But, um, yeah, that was pretty cool. It was, it was awesome, you know, to, to have that first moment. But then my first song of ours that we heard 
Um, it actually wasn't on radio. It was on radio. It was called Off the Hillbilly Hook. But the first place I actually heard it uh, was on a commercial in the middle of ESPN. Uh, it was Toby's uh, trailer song for Beer from My Horses. Oh, yeah. And so all of a sudden the trailer comes on. Of course, we're in the trailer. And then all of a sudden it's Off the Hillbilly Hook is the whole trailer. Yeah. And so I'm just freaking out. I'm like, oh my gosh. I was like, you know, that's their song is on ESPN, you know. Yeah, that's the freak out moment that you, it that was, you always it was the hear coolest about thing. Too. You know, and they're, and of course, they're showing the highlights of the movie and all that stuff. And it had um, Ted Nugent, uh, Tom Skerritt, Claire Filani, uh, Rodney Carrington. Uh, Hang on. You, you, you got to tell the Ted Nugent story. You, uh, you went hunting with Ted. Well, I didn't go hunting with Ted. Or, okay. We, you, were, we were on set filming Beer for My Horses. Oh, this is on the movie set. On the set. Oh, and this dude, I don't even know if I should tell this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. <laughs> so we're standing there and all of a sudden he goes, hang on a second. And I'm just excited because I'm meeting Ted Nugent. Right. And he's as crazy as you think he would be. And he goes over to this trailer or whatever it was, you know, and he gets a bow and arrow and he goes, Phew, and he shoots his bow. And it had to be a good 30, 40 yards away. I didn't even know there was anything out there. I mean, right. I was sure there was because we were in the middle of the desert in Albuquerque, New Mexico. But Uncle Ted's got senses that we don't He have. shot this big old rabbit. I didn't even know they had like rabbits out there. It was a big rabbit, too. It was huge. He shoots this rabbit, goes over there, field dresses it, puts it on a, like you watch, you think like on a stick and cooks it over an open fire and eats it. He goes, I only kill what I eat. And I was like, and Toby, Toby's like sitting there thinking, I'm going to, I'm going to get sued. Right, Peter's here we gonna go. Be here. I'm, it's going to, it's going to. You know, but he he ate the food, and I guess that's the that's the law he lives by. You know, he lives by his own rules, and um, we never got in trouble for it. So if you're listening to this now, that didn't actually happen. Yeah, it's Peter. <laughs> this is all about stories. Yeah, Peter. We don't know. I don't even know what you're talking about. But uh, it was one of the coolest things is you know to watch him do that and realize that that's exactly who he is. Like he don't put on a show yeah, for people yeah. on his show. That's what he really is. That's awesome. And uh, I can respect anybody like that. You know, I would say this. I don't care how you are in life. As long as you're that 100% of the time. Same. You know? What, uh, Unless like, you're a complete asshole. Then yeah, I got a little I, bit of I, mean, I just don't want to be. I'd rather know that you're a complete asshole and just make my choice not to be around Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Uh, what was that? Uh, on Rodney Carrington, you know, after, of course, after we were in the movie with him, I had to go listen to every record he ever put out. And uh, he was talking about um, being in, uh, when he got his big show on, on uh, ABC. Yeah. And he said he was in... Uh, Rodeo Drive, and he's you know he's talking about he was meeting gay people really for the first time, and he he was like he was like man I just didn't know I didn't know how to handle it. He said, but then I thought you know this guy told me I wasn't his type, you know, and he and he he said it kind of kind of made me feel bad. I was like, well, why not? Why why ain't I your type? What's wrong with me? He goes, but wouldn't it make life easier if everybody just had what they were and they wore it on their shirt? You know, I like this and you like that, so yep. we probably ain't going to get along. You know, hey, I, I'm a firm believer. Let's all just wear name tags to say, hey, I'm an asshole, yeah. or I'm a really good guy, yeah. or I'm fun to be around. Yeah, I mean, like you know, life is short. You know, theoretically on this earth, and you know, I want to spend it with people that want to smile and have a good day. You know, that that's all I am. I don't care what color you are, what religion you are, what's you know, what you like Same. prefer in this in the bedroom. If you're good to me, I'll be good to you. You know what I mean? If you start treating me like crap, I'm not going to be bad to you. I'm just not going to spend any of my time on you. And I'm not going to go out of my way to bring negativity into your world. No, I, I don't have time. I mean, if I can't make you smile or, or feel good, you're probably in a really bad place because all I, I mean, I live my life in a very positive place. And I think that's because of everything I went through as a kid. People are like, how are you, you know, you would never know that I'd been through this stuff. Right. Because when you meet me, I'm always a ray of sunshine. You know, I'm always up. I'm always hyper. I'm always in a good mood. Um, but it's because I know what it's like to have 
the terrible life. I know what it's like to get beat up every day. And it's know? funny because that's initially this podcast was called more importantly until about six or seven episodes into it. Right. And, and, and that was the whole premise behind this was, you know, there's so many p- people that we see on TV or hear on the radio or, or we see your personality on stage, you know, and that's, that's great. And that's incredible because that's what draws us to you. Right. But more importantly than that, who you, you outside you of that overcame so much to become that person. And it's like, I deal with, you know, bull riders all the time, people see in the spotlight, but more importantly, who are they away from the spotlight? And that, that was the whole premise for this. And that's why I really wanted to, yeah. to sit down and we've been, you know, talking back and forth. I wanted to sit down and have a little time to actually dive into your yeah. story. Well, it's cool. And you know, so many times we do interviews on radio and you get 10 minutes yeah. and, and it's like, you only talk about the single and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's cool to sit down and actually talk about real things in real life. And um, I think that's what's cool about podcasts and stuff like that is you really can get more information than, you know, the typical question, you know, what's it like being on tour with Toby and what's right. this? And, you know, I, I, I want to tell people about my life. And for a long time, I didn't. I didn't t- I didn't want people to know that I'd been through that. Um, and it wasn't until I was on Biggest Loser when said people need, you know, the, the head doctor there said people need to hear your story. Yep. Because your story can change somebody's life. Your story can make somebody realize that even if they were in a bad situation like you were in, that they can overcome it. Because obviously, everybody, everybody, no matter what, even if they come into a good life, there's still something in their life that happened. It, it could be a broken heart. It could be, you know, a drunk dad or a drunk mom. Or it could be, you know, it could be somebody. You know, my mom deals with uh, clinical depression, and. I used to think, well, she's just being a baby. She needs to get up and quit, you know, quit being such a baby. But I didn't know it's actually a chemical imbalance in your brain right. that causes you to feel like you, like you're, like you're suffocating, like you're drowning in life. Because yeah. I don't have that, so it's hard for me to understand somebody that wants to lay in bed all day or somebody that can't get motivated. I'm always been motivated. I've always been the guy that's like, whatever happens today, I'm going to be the best at it. Yeah. Excuse me. If I when I played football. I was going to be the best at whatever I was doing. Mm-hmm. When I went to Sonic, I was going to be the best at whatever I was doing. See, it's so hard for me to understand people that don't want to do that. People that, that just kind I know, of me too. flow through life. And it's like, hey, man, like you worked at Sonic. You wanted to be the best I damn be Sonic the best. GM ever. I mean, I, I would tell people I'm the best yeah. in the world. It's you know? hard for me to it's and hard then I want to I want a bronze medal and I said, Well, I guess I'm the third best in the world, but back <laughs> I'm in the top three. But 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 if you if you were still working at Sonic, I'd, I'd think be, you would oh, be number one by now for sure. Hands I mean down. I was no, I was number three at nineteen years old. Imagine what I've been at twenty five if I'd have just kept does, going. Does Sonic have a Hall of Fame? That they I feel should. Like you were I should be in the be Hall of Fame. Um well it was created in Shawnee, Oklahoma, actually. I, I do yeah. I do know so it's funny because I just came through Stillwater. Yeah. And uh, a really good friend of mine. Uh, had never been to Stillwater. So we had to hit Eskimo Joe's and all the typical Stillwater stuff. And I said, I'm about to blow your mind. Yeah, why? What are, you, what are you talking about? I'm about to show you something that you'll never, Talk ever in a million. And we drive by, and there's the sign out in front of Sonic, and it says America's first Sonic drive-in. And they got a big sign out there. They, you know, they, they still to this day, hey, we're proud. We own, we, Sonic's our deal, man. Oh, dude. Sonic's like Sonic owners. And it's Sonic Oklahoma. Owners, I mean, they're franchises. I mean, there's corporate stores too, but. The owners, I mean, like our owners anyways, they own like 92 Sonics and they individually loved every one of those Sonics. And, you know, I, I'm telling you, I was a Sonic guy. I could tell you, Troy Smith started Sonic. Yeah. 1953, it was called the Top Hat Drive-In until yeah. in 1959 when it became Sonic because they got the little outside buttons where you could order at the stand. Because, you know, that's they, why it became they, Sonic. The reason it became Sonic because it was service with the speed of sound because yep. you would call it in. And they'd and, set the tray on your window. You'd oh, roll yeah. your window about halfway do down. Yeah. At my Sonic, um, 
you know, the first, the, the girls that got the most shifts were the ones that would skate. Did, I was going to say, I, did you I, wear I, a roller I wanted to have a skater on every shift because I thought it made Sonic unique. I thought it made it better. It did. You know, because I, I feel like, you know, if you go to McDonald's, you can have somebody deliver your food to you. You know what I mean? Or hand it to you out a window. But at Sonic, it made it cool to have this girl on roller skates who was, you know, full of life. And, you know, I, I, and my car hops, if, if you didn't have a good attitude, you couldn't be a car hop. I, I could care less about how fast you were. I was like, I want you to be fast to the car, but when you're at that car, I wanted you to treat that person like they're the only person in the world. Yeah. And that's the reason my Sonic succeeded so well is because, you know, I, I basically made it like it was a hometown dairy dip because we, we were in a small town, you know what I mean? I said, people need to feel like this is their Sonic. Yeah. They need to feel like you're their person, that you're their friend. I was like, I don't want them to feel like, oh, we're, they're just another person that we're throwing food to to make money. But dude, it, it, that that's so not just Sonic with you. And, and something I noticed, that's the way you treat people when you're working out with them. Oh, absolutely. When you're training people, it's the exact same thing. You're so inviting. It's the same thing, you know, when I've seen you on stage. Like, like you want those fans to, to remember that oh, this I, is this is a special night. You know, I, I, I've been, I work with a lot of young artists now, and they ask me a lot of information. And I used to be the young guy. Right. But even when I was a young guy, I always had this mentality. I don't play a show for how many people showed up because sometimes you can get your, your ego bruised and busted because not, not very many people will show up and you thought, man, I thought we would do well tonight or I thought we'd have more people here. And I, a long time ago, I decided I don't put on a show for how many people show up. I put on a show for how many people I know are going to show up eventually. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and if there's one person there, I'm going to put on a show like there's 10,000. Same. And, and I want that person that gets that experience. I want them to go home talking about, Oh my gosh, I saw this band trailer choir. They had this crazy deal. Like, everybody and they're they're going to tell people. That's people. how you grow. And and that's honestly, we never had super huge radio success. The reason we were able to tour and make the kind of money we were able to make was all because of the show that we put on. You know, it was because Butter's quirky little things that he would do on stage and his jokes and Crystal being this. Now, Crystal was a singer. I mean, Crystal was this. When you heard her saying you felt like you were listening to a Disney princess that had soul. You know yeah. what I mean? Was she a fan? Like, had you guys, how did, how did you guys run across her? Cause I read you know, somewhere that it was you two guys. It was just me and butter and we were doing all the frat parties and we were, we had, we had been seen by Toby already actually once. Um, the night that Toby saw us, we had a different girl with us. The first time he ever saw us, it was a girl named Jules Hansen who was on Nashville star. She jumped up for one song because she wrote off the Obelie hook with us. So she jumped up to do that one song with us. Well, then, uh, the next time, you know, that we were putting on a show. We didn't know Toby was going to come, but we just, we had started hiring a backup singer each time. And it was, this was the first time Crystal had ever played with us. So we hired her to be the backup singer for the night. Um, cause we were doing the Billy block show gotcha. and Toby saw us. Well, he, the way the stage was, we were all three across the front. So it looked like a trio. So that's what Toby thought it was. Cause the first time he seen us, we had a girl. Now he's seen us again. We got a girl. He didn't realize that it wasn't the same girl. Um, you know, cause they both pretty blondes. You know what I mean? It, now Crystal though, Crystal is that singer that, I mean, she could have had a solo career. She, she was on the verge of it many times and probably, I mean, probably top five favorite female singers of all time, even really? out of people that are stars. I mean, she's wow. In fact, we used to make her sit there and sing to us on the, me and me and my little brother uh, used to make her sing to us on the bus. Cause I mean, she's just such a phenomenal singer, but we, we had this thing and I'm telling you, we had started bringing in, I mean, we would, we would sell out 400 tickets in Nashville, which in Nashville, if you can get 50 people to show up, you're doing something. Cause there's 50, hundred shows, you know, every single night. Um, but we just, we created this buzz and it wasn't I me, mean, me and butter are not Chris Stapleton type singers, right? We're not going to dazzle you with ours. We had the songs and we had this, this, this show that just couldn't be matched. And in fact, it, it ended up costing us a lot of shows. We got kicked off a lot of things that, you know, headliners wouldn't want us to open for them. It wasn't because they didn't like us. We were friends with them. 
but they were like, we don't, we can't have that energy going before us. And then, you know, you know, and, and it wasn't anything like they were intimidated as far as like what we were. It, it was just, just it was just their different. style. It was just, it wasn't their style. You know, it was, you know, it's like, if we're going to go open for Josh Grayson, who I love and who I think is amazing, you know, he's a ballad heavy show. He's, he's a phenomenal singer. He was on American Idol. So it's like, okay. And all of a sudden you got a 400 pound break dancer, you know, a Pamela Anderson blonde and a, and a punk rocker dude putting on a show and you got jagger waking up jagger who's we do, ready bud. to party here's that thunder out there yeah but you had this show i'm gonna get him yeah you, you can come get... do some interviews with us buddy <laughs> it'd probably be the most intelligent thing we hear today jagger just turned getting ready to be one year old he's been in a, a milk coma and he is just chilling that's something else that there he is <laughs> He's like, who is this crazy guy at the table? I train him across football all the time. People are like, you think it's gonna hurt his stomach? Because like, I don't think so. I do all the time. He ain't, he ain't been sick yet. He doesn't really have a chance to not be tough. Oh, his mom is way tougher than me. So okay, real quick. Uh, speaking of music and helping young artists, yes. like if people come to Nashville. The overall attraction, right? Tell me about that. So I, about five years ago, me and Butter started this thing. It was called Hollowville at the time, but. Um, Steve Ford, who owns Winners and Losers, he also owns the Doghouse. He called me. He's like, "Dude, would y'all mind putting on a show and helping me build up the Doghouse?" I was like, "Man, I said we ain't done that in so long." I was like, "You know, it might be fun." Yeah. And so it started off just me and me and Butter and a bunch of our friends. We'd get up and play every week, and we'd draw in crowds. Well, as time went on, you know, Butter was like, "Ah, he was a man." He's like committing every Wednesday night to being there at you know nine o'clock till one o'clock. He's like, "I got two kids at home. I just can't do that." So I kind of took it over on my own, but I didn't want to keep calling it the same thing because Butter, yeah. me and Butter own Hollowville together. So I'd always called myself the overall attraction because I wear overalls and damn it, I'm attractive. <laughs> but so I started calling it the overall attraction. Big Vinny presents the overall attraction because I was going to have all these different artists and songwriters and all these people. What do you think about it, buddy? Um, and the next thing you know, you know, we started having people getting signed. You know, a guy named Todd O'Neill got signed to Big Machine. Uh, Luke Combs used to come by and sing every now yeah. and then. Uh, Brett Young, he never sang there, but he would come in every week just to watch. Um, but he was there. You know, Chris Young comes pretty much every week. Uh, Dan and Shay, you know, Shay from Dan and Shay comes a lot. And Those guys are so, like, phenomenal. They, I mean, they just enjoy what they do. It, one of these tell. days, one of these days, Shay will be able to sing as good as me. So yeah, right, put, right. Put me on quote. Put me on quote saying. <laughs> He'll never be as handsome He'll as He'll never you. be as handsome as me. Those guess, poor guys. I yeah. saw I saw a bunch of Snapchats of a little show they did this week, and yeah. it's all women, like oh, all a, young, beautiful yeah. women. Well, you know they're they're managed by Justin Bieber's manager, by so uh, Scooter Braun, and they they are. I mean, the guy's a phenomenal. He's one of the best singers I've ever heard in my life. I mean, he could get up there with any. He could get up there with Justin Timberlake, and Justin Timberlake would be like, "Uh, you're a better singer than yeah. me." You know. Now, differently <clears throat> in the country music world, differently, Chris Stapleton is my favorite singer, right? Um, cause he's a soul singer. He's, he's just different, but he's Shay, different. technically Shay's the best singer I think I've ever heard in the music industry. What I love and, about and those guys is CMA fest this year. You know, I went over to Nissan stadium set, set way up there by myself, you know, in the nosebleed sections. But even from that far away, you can tell that those guys just love and, and they're, they're thankful. You can tell they're just, I mean, these guys, they the become moment. pretty big stars. Yeah. Shay will jump up at Doghouse and sing. He, he won't never sing his own songs. He'll get up there and sing like 1990s and, and yeah. 2000, early 2000s R&B. He's up there singing Boys to <laughs> Men. Like, I'll make love to awesome. like you want me. I can't sing it, obviously, but he can sing it. 
So no, those guys are great, man. I've been blessed to have so many great friends. I mean, you know, Chris has been a friend for a long time. We came in the business together. You know, he comes and supports the show and, you know, so, but it gives hope to these young songwriters and these young singers. And they see these guys there, you know, I never was, I guess, big enough, famous enough. Some of them, I mean, every now and then be like, dude, you're the rock and the beer gut guy. Um, but everybody knows who Chris is. Everybody knows who Shay is. And, you know, Lee, Lee Bryce comes in there sometimes. Everybody knows who he is. Chris you know? is one of the few guys that, you know, I, you remember Nashville. Everybody kind of used to be around, especially right. around Midtown. You know, you never knew who you was going to see. He's always there. But this place has grown so much. Yeah. But he's one of the few guys that still gets out. He does. He just enjoys music. He does. He, and, he, and he actually listens. He'll come up to me like, hey, I like that one. You should have them more often. Yeah. You know, and, of course, he'll That's also cool. tell me when he don't like somebody. Right. You don't need to have them up there. Where the overalls come from? <laughs> Interesting story. My stepdad, the one you heard of. Now, let uh-huh. me preface this. He was an evil person in right. a lot of ways right. when he when he was on the heavy drugs. But when he wasn't, he was a phenomenal stepdad. Yeah. Taught me how to play football. Taught me how to fish. Taught me how to hunt. Taught me how to do so many things. Um, came to me one day. I was about nine years old. And he said, are you strong? And I said, yeah, I'm strong. He's like, come outside with me. I was like, all right. So I went outside with him. He's like, can you pick up that hay bale? And I was like, yeah, I can pick up that hay bale. So I pick up the hay bale. He goes, can you throw it in the back of the truck? I was like, threw it in the back of the truck. He goes, all right, you're old enough to start hauling hay. Oh. So I get out there the first day, I'm wearing jeans yeah. and, and my belt, you know, and every two seconds, I'm having to stop and pull my pants up because I'm trying to keep up with my brothers and I'm out there running around in a field and it's 98 degrees, you know, weather outside in the middle of a hay field. And, you know, half the bells you grab got a black snake coming out on your hands and, so I'm literally like stopping to pull my pants up and, and now I'm starting to sweat. So they're sagging and starting to fall off of me. And I'm like, man, I was like, this is terrible. I was like, I need to get me some overalls. Yeah. So I saved up my allowance. We got paid $5 a week, saved up my allowance, went and bought me a pair of overalls at Walmart. And I started using those for hauling hay and just anything I was working. We did a lot of bows on and, and we were building a, a deer reservation where people could come and deer hunt and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I was building up this whole thing and I would wear my overalls and I was able to get more work done and not had to stop and pull my pants up and all that kind of stuff. So they just kind of became my favorite thing to wear, yeah. you know, and I wore them in high school. You can go back and see pictures of me in high school wearing the overalls. I didn't always wear them. Uh, but on stage, similarly, when I'm wearing, when I was wearing blue jeans, you know, you're break dancing, you're, you're, you know, your yeah, butt crack showing half the time, your pants are falling down on you. So, I was like, well, I'm going to wear the overalls on stage. So it's a real thing. I mean, like, it, like it's a real thing. Oh, like, yeah. It's not just my I always character. wondered if it was just a character. No. I mean, you know, people thought that. People thought, and, you know, I've read these interviews, and one thing I can tell you as a young artist, don't read the inter- don't right. don't read the reviews of yourself because nobody, everybody's going to not like you until you're bigly famous. Bigly. You like that word? Until you're bigly famous. Trump word. That's a Trump it? word. <laughs> bigly. <laughs> But you know when you're when you're on your way up, people are going to pick you apart. They're going to find things. So people was like, "Oh, we can tell that they were put together by a casting agency in Nashville." There's no way, way that girl would be with those two guys. And yeah. you know, of yeah. course, you know, of course, they went and found a, a 400 pound guy that could break dance. Right. And, you know, you know that's all he does. He he doesn't. He has no talent. He can't sing. He he's too fat. You know, and and the only way he could have a career is if he had these other two with him. And I mean. If you went, I mean, get on YouTube one day if you got about uh, forty minutes to spare and, and want to lower your IQ and go read some of the things people <laughs> people read people wrote about me, especially you know they just didn't think I deserved a deal because I was fat, you know. Isn't that stupid? And it's just funny, but but you know, but they all thought it was a character. They thought everything we did was a put on, and it's not. When you see Butter in Everyday Life, he's wearing a pair of cut off jeans with a pair of boots with socks that come up to his knees with <laughs> with a crooked hat on and a bandana and glasses that have no... That's just how he dresses. That's funny. Like, that's not... You know, like, Butter's stage act is not... Now, Crystal, 
that's how she is 100% of the time, too. But now it's it's a costume, buddy. I mean, she gets up, and she she would spend four hours getting ready. Uh, but she wasn't a diva about it. I mean, she made if she had to get ready on the bus, she'd be right there in that seat getting ready. And um, but she's a she's a professional makeup artist. That's what she did before we got our deal. She was she would worked at the mall and she would do people's makeup for proms and weddings. And she would be hired out to do music videos and stuff like that. You want to go, ain't you? Yeah, Jagger's got he's got some plans. Real quick, so so you got a lot going on. Yeah, he's not happy. He, he's not a mic guy. Fresh out of a a nap. So okay, you got a lot going on. You got Big Vinny Fitness, right? So you're you're training people. You've got a little gym. training people. Got a little city where our gym's called Music City Fitness. Um, and it's going well, doing, doing great. You know, we're going to actually get ready to move to a bigger location. Um, you know, got, got my solo career stuff going, still playing with trailer choir. You know, we still get quite a few shows and get called to do some things. And we have our pockets around the United States where people love us and, you know, and anywhere we actually go and perform, even if we wasn't big there. Oh, I know buddy here. You want to go crawl? Nope. Just wants to sit next to dad. Just wants to sit there. So anyways, you know, so I, I'm always out doing something. I'm, I'm the kind of guy that people say, oh, you got too many irons in the fire. But if I only have a couple of things, like I feel like I get bored too mm-hmm. easy. Yeah. So if I'm working on something and I get bored of it, I need to put it aside for a little bit and I need to go work on something else because I'm not just going to sit still. Oh, that's what he wants is a remote. <laughs> I'm not just going to sit still. I'm not just going to sit there and waste the rest of my day just because, you know, because I got tired of doing one thing. You know, so if I have multiple things, it actually helps me work more on the other stuff as well because I can take a little bit of time away from it and work on something else. Um, obviously, now having having my son, it's the most important thing is my son and my wife. And, you know, my son is awesome. He, he's he's a handful in a good way, yeah. you know. Well, and it's funny because, you, I mean, you can tell just like, and this is the first time I've been around you guys, but it's just like your music, just being on stage. It's It's like I saw in the gym today. It's just like here at home, you know, I mean, you're passionate about being a husband and a father. And it's like, you just, hey, I can tell you this, man, nothing in this world that I've ever wanted to be is bigger than me wanting to be a good dad. It's awesome. And, you know, I had a good dad. I just didn't know it for a long time, you know, but making sure that he has what he needs and works for what he wants, you know, making sure that he understands how to treat people, how to love people, how to, how to be a good person, you know, and, and we're a year into it. He's a character. You know, he wants to make people laugh. You can see him now. He's trying to look he's at you around the, around the corner. Yeah, <laughs> but 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 you you've been in places where a lot of people would have just gave up. Oh, and, absolutely. And you kept pushing through. I mean, we've we've been down. I've been down more times, I think, than I. I've been down the exact amount of times as how many times I've gotten back up. And I just, you know, I look at it like this, man. I, I've come here, and I've chased a dream. And if I never did anything else with my music. I've done more than 99% of anybody I'll ever come to this town to do. And that's a blessing because there's a lot of talented people that come through this town that just don't have the perseverance or the willpower or the business mind to make it because at the end of the day, it is the music business. Yep. So I don't care how talented you are. If you can't put together, if you can't show up for meetings on time, if you can't um, you know, build something that's a brand, if you can't do that, you're not going to succeed. Right. And you know, e- even if you do get a break and you get a record deal, you know, Toby, Toby Keith, Garth Brooks, Kenny Chesney, those guys are not the greatest singers in the world. Mm-mm. Now, George Strait's a pretty great singer. He's, he's all right. <laughs> but, but you know, some of these guys are not the best singers in the world, but they have a business mind. Toby knew exactly what his brand was. He knew he, and honestly, Toby had his most success when he started saying, you know what? I'm going to be me. Yeah. And of course, they never sung. He wrote it. I want to talk about me. Yeah. I want to talk, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. And he just said this, I just want y'all to know exactly who I am as a person. Um, and that's when he started being real is when his fan following grew so much. Because mm-hmm. if you if you try to market to everybody, you're going to fall short. Now, 
but if you market to your demographic, to your people, if you know exactly what your brand is and who you're marketing to, you're going to do a great job. Yeah. You know, people people like to make fun of Luke Bryan, and and you know because he's not this or he's not that. That guy's talented though. He's a talented guy. He's he's a great human being, like literally one of the most enduring. Like you just want to be around him. Like you know, I believe people it. are like, oh, he can't sing. He sounds like Kermit the Frog, or he does this or he does that. I'm like, go back and listen to his first co- oh, first yeah. two albums. And he's not country. He's not this. He's the most. He's one of the most country dudes you ever meet. All he does is hunt, hunt fish, and love every day. You know, but but honestly. He knew exactly what brand he was going for, and he and he and he went after that demographic, and he and he went for it. And now, now, I mean, he's the biggest country star on the planet. Um, he sells the most. You know, he sells so many tickets. He does such great things. He does stadium shows. He's and he's a he's just a great person. He's a great dad. He's he's a lover of people, um, and I think that's more important than are you traditional country? Are you real country? Are you this country or that country? To me, it's like music is music. If you don't like it, you can change the channel. Me and Glenn Templeton had the exact same conversation yeah. because there's so I many. Glenn. What a uh, great! Now that's a phenomenal. That singer. is a talent. Yeah. So he was the very first guest on this on this podcast. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, we've been good friends a long time and love Daryl Singletary, one of my best friends ever. I love that guy. And, and one show with him it was a highlight of my career. One of my highlights of my career. Unbelievable, and a guy that loved traditional country music. Yeah, I love traditional. I do country. too. But I love music. I just love music. I love music. And here's what I tell people. I'm like, why do people spend time trying to down somebody when you can change the channel? Bingo. Like, it it, it always baffles me. And I got buddies that do it. You know, I got buddies that are in the music industry. And I also got buddies that are just fans of, of music in general. And they will literally spend hours on Facebook talking about how Luke Bryan sucks. He ain't real country. Or, or Dan and Shay should be pop. Or Sam Hunt's not change this. Change the or, station. I'm like... You literally just don't spend don't spend any effort on it. Like you don't have to listen to it. Well, it's on every radio station. I'm like, change the channel. Get a CD. Go buy some music and actually pay for it. Go and, listen to this podcast. Can, yeah, that's go listen to this podcast. Tough. Like spend spend time doing that. And because you know that's why I love Chris Stapleton's answer. Whenever they ask him, Rolling Stone ask him when he first got big. You know, I was like, well, what you know, being that you're such a which he's not traditional country at all. I love it how they said he's saving country music. He's R and B. If that if that ain't if that ain't uh. You know, rhythm and blues. If that ain't blues music, his old projects, his other projects. Oh, like rock, he was in a Johnson rock band. Brothers, yeah, yeah. I've been listening to, it. and he had, of course, he had the Steel Drivers, and, yep. And and they're fun. I mean, all of them. I mean, anything he's so sings. good, yeah. But I'm just like, anyways. They ask him, like, what do you think about this? You know, and he goes, man, I, what do you think about Bro Country? He's like, man, I love those guys. They cut a lot of my songs and gave me, you know, the opportunity to still be here in town. And he said, man, he goes, I, he goes, the way I look at it in life, man, is I, you know, what I do is different than what so you know somebody else might do. He said, but you know. My fans are going to love what I do. Their fans are going to love what they do. And he said, and I think that, you know, if you just stick to that, everybody will be a lot happier. And I, I, I agree with him 100%. Like, so true. You know, if you don't like something, you know, if I don't want to eat at a certain restaurant, I just don't go eat there. I don't get on Facebook and be like, hey, everybody, don't go eat at this restaurant because I don't like it. You know what I mean? They might go there and love it. You it's know? so funny because I'll equate it to this. You walk down Broadway here in Nashville, there's a band in every bar. Oh, absolutely. And I've sat with so many people. They're all talented. That, but I've sat with so many people that said, I just can't stand this music. Hey, let's walk to the next let's go bar. To the next bar. There's and literally another band playing. Yeah. So it's just that simple. Man, it I'm is. super stoked for you. You got so much going on. I know it's busy. I appreciate you letting me be part of what you're doing here, it's, man. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's fun. I'm, I'm glad we got to hang out. Glad we got to uh, to hang with Jagger. I think he's got some plans for you for the rest of the day. So <laughs> if, 
if I want to, sure I'm sure he's cooking up a real nice diaper for me. Right I'm now. sure he is. I'm gonna <laughs> let you get to it. But if somebody wants to see the the fitness stuff, the music stuff, the dad stuff, the husband stuff, how do we find you? You know, I, for me, you know, I used to have a traditional website, but people just don't go to those anymore. So, just Instagram b i g g v i n n y m a c k. Um, I post a lot more in my story than I just post random stuff, you know, but you know, you'll see some of my fitness stuff on there. You'll see my music stuff on there. You know, all that, all that stuff. Where are you going, boy? There you go. I got my Facebook. All of it's under big Vinny, you know, two G's too big for one G. There you go. He wants to go hit that. All right. The deal. We're going to get out of here. Thanks brother. brother. Thank you so much. See ya. There you have it. My conversation with big Vinny and a big thanks to not only big Vinny, but Jenny, his lovely bride, uh, Jagger, their little man for opening up their home to us. And uh, allowing me to go in there and record my little episode of Matt West now. Uh, just a, a great, great family. Cannot say enough positive things. Hopefully this conversation gave you a little something to motivate you, to inspire you, to make the next 365 days the absolute best that we possibly can. I know I'm looking forward to a, a tremendous year. 2019 going to be the best year of our lives. And hopefully you feel the same way because there is absolutely nothing standing in your way of your goals. Remember that and uh, make sure that you have those goals. I, I personally, I'm writing down daily goals. I'm doing something every single day. I've got a goal in mind that I'm going to hit for the next 365 days. Hopefully you do too. One of those goals is to keep bringing you better and better podcasts. Keep working at it. Keep trying to make it better. Keep trying to make it more influential for you guys. Uh, giving you guys a reason to cruise over there and hit that five-star rating. That's right. Yep. That is a shameless plug to get you to go to get you to go. Uh, drop a five-star rating and help us keep moving up the chains here in our iTunes, uh, Google Play now, um, working on some other podcast providers. But stay with us, man. It's going to be a great journey. Uh, hopefully, you're going to enjoy it as much as we are. We'll look forward to another episode shortly here on Matt West Now.